Coming up on Stu Does America, former President Barack Obama is back in the news for, I mean, you know why, he called America racist again. That's just what he does. Uh, we'll get into that. Dan Andros from Faithwire is back on the program to cover the latest in idiotic sports nonsense. And the country continues to return to normal post-pandemic life with the opening of movie theaters nationwide. I'll tell you about a great movie I saw and the extremely coincidental comparisons it had with COVID as well. Let's do A Quiet Place. Stu does America. On March 8th, 2020, John Krasinski attended a red carpet movie premiere with his wife, Emily Blunt, in New York City. No masks, no social distancing, I mean, they were watching a movie in a movie theater on March 8th, 2020 in New York City. The premiere was for their new movie, A Quiet Place Part 2, the sequel to the 2018 original that brought in $188 million in the U.S. and $340 million worldwide on only a $17 million budget. The movie was a hit. The sequel was due to hit theaters on March 20th, 2020. But as you may have heard, some news events kind of got in the way. Three days after that New York premiere, the NBA would cancel its season. A week later would be the beginnings of Donald Trump's 15 days to stop the spread. And the movie industry entered what could be described as a moderate downturn. Hmm. The weekend of Krasinski's big premiere, cinemas did just over $100 million in the U.S. The next weekend, there would be a drop-off of almost half, down to $53.7 million dollars. And for the weekend of March 20th, the weekend A Quiet Place Part 2 was supposed to come out, the total nationwide box office for all movies combined was $4,160. From $100 million to $4,000 in two weeks. A drop-off of 99.996%. Basically, no one was going to the movies, as we all know. I mean... You know, sure, in May of 2020, a couple of truly heroic figures managed to brave the pandemic and take in a terrible Vin Diesel movie. I think maybe, Pat, if you're... You want to sit down there? I'll sit, yeah. Up there? Mm -hmm. Yeah, this is the way we're... All right. Now, this isn't my... my this isn't the view I'd like, frankly. It's a little... Oh, it's a little too close. Now, can someone check with like the governor of Kentucky or Michigan and see if we're okay here? If you want to- Far enough apart, do you think? What? Are, are we far enough apart? We're socially distanced right now, but I'm not sure there's enough space. <laughs> I haven't seen that in a while, it's great. Uh, that was a lot of fun. I will say the Vin Diesel movie, not good. Not only were we the only two people in that theater, by the way, we were the only two people in the theater complex that day, other than the people who worked there, and I think there may have been two of them. A bizarre, bizarre turn of events. But other than that, and our heroic actions, the movie industry was completely wiped out, to say the least. And needless to say, A Quiet Place 2 was delayed. In April of 2020, they announced it would come out on September, September 4th, 2020. Then in July, they thought, eh, 
maybe September is a little too soon, so they moved it back to April 2021. As the pandemic continued at the beginning of the year, they changed their release date again to September 2021. But in March, as cases and deaths were dropping and the products of Operation Warp Speed began reaching millions of people around the country, the release date for A Quiet Place Part 2 would be moved for the last time to May 28th, 2021, this past Friday. In case you didn't see the original, I pulled this helpful description. In a post-apocalyptic world, a family is forced to live in silence while hiding from monsters with ultra-sensitive hearing. <laughs> I mean, I guess that's technically accurate, uh, but not exactly going to inspire people to go to the theaters. But a sequel to a horror-slash-suspense movie is about the hardest thing to pull off in Hollywood. The first movie, you can get away with the constant state of, What the hell is going on? What do these creatures even look like? By the sequel, you already know all of that. You already know what the monsters look like. You already know all the rules of the game. You know everything. So usually, these sequels suck. Of course, there are some exceptions. Um, Aliens. Um, Halloween 2. Uh, Look Who's Talking To. I mean, those are great horror sequels, but they're few and far between. This is not a show about movie reviews, however, but I will tell you, I saw the movie A Quiet Place Part 2 this weekend, and it was really solid. If you like the first one, you're going to love this one, too. But what struck me watching it was the bizarre sort of parallels between the movie and, you know, what really happened over the past year. One day, everyone is out watching Little League, going out to dinner, seeing movies, and the next day, the entire civilization screeches to a halt. Now, to my knowledge, murderous monsters are not currently listed as a side effect of COVID, but Fauci does have a new book coming out soon, so maybe we'll find out some breaking news. I mean, A Quiet Place is basically the alarmist story of the pandemic, is it not? You gotta stay inside. Don't move. Don't do a thing. Don't make a sound. And if you have the unmitigated gall to have a conversation in person with someone, you're definitely toast. Whether or not you liked A Quiet Place or not is not really the point. The point is, I was there watching a new big-budget movie, and I wasn't there alone this time. Tons of theaters actually sold out across the country this weekend. People are coming out of their homes and doing things again. If you're in Texas or Florida, this might seem relatively normal to you at this point, but we're no longer alone. States are opening up, even blue ones. Masks are coming off. We rightfully complain about silly mandates and ridiculous rules that are going on. We should do that. We should continue to do it until the end of time. But when the history of this thing is written, the fact that Nevada lifted a mandate two months before California is not going to be the headline. We know we don't approve of how things were broken. But the story going forward is how we are going to put them back together. Obviously, movie theaters don't tell the entire story. But it is an indicator that we're back. We're back in business as a country. Back when John Krasinski went to that initial premiere in New York in March 2020, the total box office receipts were about $100 million. And this weekend, for the first time since the pandemic began, we are back. It took an entire year for us just to get above $25 million. Another six weeks to get a past $50 million. And now, another six weeks, and we're right at about $100 million again. For all the hell that we've been put through over the past 15 months, we're back. And as we've been saying forever, once vaccines are available to everyone, the pandemic 
is over. And that's where we are at the end. In 2020, against all of our instincts, America kind of turned into a quiet place. Now it's time to be loud once again. All right, you're in the middle of a historic, crazy housing market. Prices are going through the roof for everybody right now. What do you do? Well, if you're buying a house, you have to make sure you're not overbidding for a piece of crap because that can happen to you. It can happen to you right now. You need to make sure that you're getting something in the right area. You're not just getting anything at any price because right now it's tempting. Just keep upping your bids. It feels like it's never going to end. If you're selling a home, now's the time to take advantage of a really hot market. You don't want to settle for a lower price. You don't want to settle for making tons of repairs that you don't need to make. Uh, you don't want to settle for all sorts of different things, your giveaways to the buyer. You don't need to do that right now. Who knows what the right balance of all this stuff is? A great real estate agent knows. Realestateagentsitrust.com is the place to go to find that great real estate agent, no matter where you are in the country. This is available nationwide to you if you're moving to a new job, if you're moving out of like a hellhole like New York or California to a good place like Florida or Texas. You're going to need to find a real estate agent to get the best price in that market. Realestateagentsitrust.com is the place to go. Go there now. Find your agent. Realestateagentsitrust.com. Well, we're going to talk about racism, and so let's bring on Dan Andros, managing editor, Faithwire.com, because Dan is a Celtics fan, and from what I'm understanding, all Celtics fans are racists. Uh, Yep, that's it. That's obviously it. Uh, I'm not (laughs) sure when that happened, but yeah. That is what it's been deemed. We've all we're all racist now. Well, the New York Times seems to say that this has been common and known for a very long time that Boston and Celtics fans, I guess in particular, are racist. They say uh, they they say uh, last week before the best of seven a series shifted to Boston, Irving, Kyrie Irving, former Celtics player who is black, had anticipated booing, but had asked fans not to be belligerent or racist. For decades, black athletes in multiple sports, including the Celtics legend Bill Russell, have spoken out about the racism they've experienced in Boston. Now, I have no doubts that Bill Russell probably did experience racism in Boston, just like every black person in that era faced it all the time. The Kyrie Irving thing was was interesting for multiple reasons. So Boston is the fifth most progressive city, first of all. Um, But yeah, Bill Russell played in Boston in the 1960s. I don't know (laughs) if you know this, but there was a little thing called segregation happening at that time. It was pretty bad. Uh, So it wasn't like it was, well, Bill Russell talks about Boston. The rest of America was great in 1962, (laughs) but Boston was awful. If we could just get rid of Boston, man, America was just way ahead of its time, except Boston dragged it down. It's just absurd. Uh, This narrative, I don't know where it comes from, but yeah, Kyrie. Okay, as a Celtics fan, I was excited when Kyrie Irving came to Boston because he's a great player. He's an amazing talent. There's no denying this. But towards the end of his tenure, he... Just he said he was going to be there for he promised he was going to be there. He's going to raise banners in Boston and somewhere along the line, things went a little bit south and he's on video talking to Kevin Durant at the all-star game when he's still a Celtic. And we later find out that he's plotting to leave and go join another team with Kevin Durant. So he basically mentally checked out, which 
is a no-no in Boston <laughs> land when it comes to their sports teams. They hugely care about their sports teams, especially the Celtics. Uh, long-storied franchise with the most uh, championships in NBA history. Uh, and so they love the Celtics. And when it's just not in their DNA for players there to give up and check out. In his last game, he went like four for 100 and he looked awful like he didn't care anymore. Like he wanted to get out of there. So people feel like he quit on Boston. So they don't like him. And for him to then say, well, gee, I hope there's not a bunch of racist stuff happening. Uh, and then and then he goes out at the end of the game, by the way, Stu. He has a great game. The Nets win. Their stupid fake super team, whatever. <laughs> and he goes out to the center of the court and stomps on the logo. Uh, and then walks out and then an idiot fan throws a water bottle at him because he's obviously mad for all of said reasons just stated. Uh, and then Kyrie Irving has the nerve to go in the postgame, Stu, and say, you know what? Fans just need to grow up. Uh, you just stomped on a drawing of a green <laughs> leprechaun. <laughs> Who needs to grow up, bro? That's true. I mean, look, Kyrie uh, Irving has, you know, he's a guy who believes the earth is flat. He doesn't have a lot of room to argue uh, intellectual points here. Uh, but obviously, we, we all agree. You don't throw a, a water bottle at a player for any reason. Even if the player is racist, you don't throw a water bottle at him. Um, you know, it's not something that you do. It's, it's, it's wrong. But it has nothing to do with race. As you point out, this has been a long building thing with one individual player. People might note that several, Dan, current Boston Celtics players are black. Right. If race was the motivating factor here, I mean, think of the mental leap you have to make. There were several black players walking off the court there, and he threw it at Kyrie Irving. <laughs> I mean, he could have thrown it at any of them. And, and why would he be paying money there to go cheer on uh, – minorities if he hated them so much mm -hmm. it just it it defies logic it defies all rational common sense when this guy is one of the more hated sport he's been avoiding coming here because he knows that he totally screwed the town over he knows it he knows it and uh and so he's like well geez I, and and for him to say and to, to kind of like build it up like well there's going to be racism and then and then to incite the crowd like this, you know, by stomping on the logo, which, again, it's a fake logo. It's imaginary. But, you know, that's it's a symbol what he's doing. Mm -hmm. He's stomping on the symbol. He's making a statement. And then so he basically raises a big middle finger to the crowd and then is, oh, how dare these people react to me? You know, again, he shouldn't have thrown it, but it's like you're inciting the crowd. I mean, and again, a lot of the same people that would be jumping on board saying this is racist. You know, it's like Donald Trump says, let's go fight and gets blamed. The logic there is everyone goes and does what he says. But Kyrie Irving then incites a crowd and then it's they they he bears no responsibility for it whatsoever. Now, yeah. again, I don't think the guy should have thrown it just like I don't think they should have ride it on the Capitol. But it's like <laughs> either you can incite people or you can't, which is it? It's really a bizarre double standard that's going on right now. And, and you know, one of the. <laughs> bizarre parts of this is after this happens, the media then comes and takes a victory lap saying this proves Kyrie was right. There is oh. racism. And even if let's just say like take this take for uh, take a step back. Let's just say the person who threw a water bottle at Kyrie Irving did it because 
he was a racist. Now, again, I don't know how you do that when tons of other minorities had just walked by and they only went after this one guy. But let's just say it was true. Even if it was was true, proving that one person in the crowd is a racist does not prove a city is racist. And, you know, despite the fact that this is and it's used all the time as the defense that it's, you know, um, what did you say, the fifth most progressive city to me that means it's probably more racist, uh, but <laughs> that's a whole, a whole other story. ID laws and stuff. Like, oh, the African-Americans don't know where, they don't know how to get an ID. Right, exactly. <laughs> uh, but still, there's no evidence for this. And I am sh- stunned, and I think this is one of the, 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 maybe the biggest changes, and one I didn't see coming, is the, uh, the, the rise in prominence of people who constantly think about race at the expense of people who want to get past it as a difference. Yeah. That yeah. Now we are at a point where you, you're only a good guy if what you do is think about race all the time. That is not healthy for a society. It's never worked before. No, and uh, I heard someone talking recently, and I'm blanking on who it was, but they were just saying, like, look at the results between the anti-racism movement and Dr. Martin Luther King. Like, Dr. Martin Luther King was out there talking and doing his activism in a time where it was legitimately dangerous to do that. Mm -hmm. Right. Like, I mean, there's no denying that fact. Like people died trying to say like, hey, black people should get equal rights. Like that was a crazy thing to do at that time because there were the country was legit racist. Uh, And so and then, you know, but look at what he did and his legacy in just, you know, a few decades. Look at how far the country has come. I mean, it's insane how the progress that was made. And then now, just in the last few years, uh, look at what the anti-racism movement has done. Has it progressed the country towards more unity or has it divided us more? Uh, You know, you look at things like people are saying, well, we're starting to see the same old stuff come up again. Yeah, we are. They're saying, well, white people, you need to take this special class. And boy, these white people are evil. Uh, it sounds just as bad. We've heard this script before. It's just a different race being applied to it. So um, when you compare the two movements, I mean, there's no comparison. One's showing awful results and the other one, you know, worked. It, it seems, too, that if it re- I, I, I think I agree with you on that statement, at least mostly, because you're right. When you talk about racial healing, Martin Luther King did a ton and the anti-racism movement, the Ibram Kendi's and the, and the white fragilities and, and all of this are doing the opposite. They're, they're yeah. separating. But we have to look at what their goals actually are. And I think the goal of the anti-racism movement is to inflame these tensions all over again so they can be taken advantage of. There, there, is, a, there is a group of African-Americans, I think the overwhelming majority, who, who want equality who want Mm. racial divisions to be healed. But there is this academic wing uh, who, you know, who have built this sort of small level ideology that has has turned into something that's permeating our entire society who don't want that to happen, who don't want Martin Luther King to succeed, who want to be able to take advantage of these racial uh, uh, fights forever. And you have a country with 330 million people in it. There's always going to be a certain percentage that sees an attack from an Ibram Kendi saying that I'm racist just because I'm white and will react badly to it. Not just say, well, wait a minute, that's not true, here's why, but will actually wind up going down roads that are negative. This, both of these, that division is, is the product here. And because that's the goal, I'm terrified it's gonna work. Yeah, 
Yeah, and, and I think, again, the difference there, you talk about those well-meaning people. Um, I think right now what we're seeing are the the ones who I think want to stir it up are the radical left Marxist type activists. And they're enjoying mainstream prominence now. I mean, you look at the Black Lives Matter movement and who founded that? These self-avowed trained Marxists. And so uh, if you if you look at these movements when they pop up and whatever group of the day is promoting anti-racism, Almost every time, without a fault, if you follow the breadcrumbs and you just look a step or two deep, well, what group are they with? Well, let's look at the belief statements of that group. Almost nine times out of ten, they're going to adhere to some radical leftist Marxist ideology. And so that's their goal. And so they take these well-meaning people who just don't want racism anymore uh, and they rile them up and they use them. And uh, all they're doing is just the old Marxist playbook. They're taking it's class warfare. We're taking these oppressed groups and we're going to rally to their cause. And uh, but they're doing it with the goal of trying to institute some form of Marxism or radical left policies uh, and not really caring about racism, per se. Um, going back to Martin Luther King for a minute, the difference between in progress uh, toward what I thought we all agreed on, which was we wanted equality, we wanted equality of opportunity, we wanted people to not be discriminated against, uh, as opposed to what Ibram Kendi is preaching, which is he wants discrimination, he at literally advocates for it in his book. Um, but the difference there, how we talk about Martin Luther King a lot. How important, though, was the reverend at the beginning of Martin Luther King, Reverend Martin Luther King. This anti-racism movement is born out of something that, to me at least, runs totally against what the foundations of Martin Luther King's faith were. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it's definitely counter to the gospel message. You guys, I know, have had Vody Bakum on, and he probably is the most, you know, eloquent speaker on this topic and how. Um, really, the anti-racist movement is a worldview. It is a separate worldview. And you see Ibrahim Kendi, Ibram Kendi speaks at a lot of churches. Mm. And I don't even I don't even think he's a Christian. I don't really know what his religious views are. But I from what I looked up, I didn't see any evidence that he's a, pro a professing Christian. And and so you got to wonder, what are his motivations? What What is his, you know, ultimate authority here? What is he trying to, you know, shoot for here? And um but you're right. And so a lot of that's missing. And a lot of well-meaning churches, I think, are falling for this. And you see them adopting it. Even evangelical churches are saying, well, we can adopt parts of parts of, uh, you know, anti-racism and critical race theory uh, because we want to end racism as well. Um, and as I mean, when I spoke to Vody Bauckham as well, I mean, he said that the people who believe that are naive at best. Uh, because you can't. It's it's a worldview. You can't just take take it a la carte and uh, hope for the best from there. It's it's one or the other. It's all or nothing. Well, this idea has been active in the church for uh, quite some time. We we go back to uh, you know Dan. If you don't know, worked with uh, with us over here at the Blaze and in the Glenbeck program for a long time. And we go back to you look at Reverend Wright. You look at uh, Jim Wallace. Uh, there was a strong strain of this leftist ideology. Uh, passing, attempting to pass for as Christianity uh, throughout uh, the, the the you know the past several decades, and now these things being intertwined together, I, I just feel like it leads to really bad things. Uh, and you know, 
we can all kind of agree, I thought, that, that the Martin Luther King vision here of, of colorblind was a positive. I, I guess I was wrong on that, and I, we'll see where, that, where this goes from here. Dan Andros, he's the managing editor at faithwire.com to cover all things faith. I, I, hope, uh, I hope Dan can stay away from his Boston Celtics-centered racism, which we now know uh, permeates all Boston fans, especially Patriots fans, in my view. Uh, that's where yeah. it really lies in Patriots fans. Can we get a win tonight, by the way, Stu? The Celtics, <laughs> just, just, they're not going to win this series, but just once to humiliate the Nets. It would just be great. Just once. You do. I, I would like just to once. see them at least get one. Uh, Dan, thanks so much for coming on. You can follow him <laughs> on Twitter, at Dan Andros. Dan, appreciate it. Thank you. You know, unfortunately, we have seen issues around the NBA with fans crossing the line. Somebody tossed a water bottle and it nearly hit Kyrie as he was walking to the tunnel. Tyler Johnson noticed it and the Nets began to point out who it was in that section. There are cameras everywhere, so you're going to see the toss right there. It just misses Kyrie. This is as the Nets were exiting, Kevin Durant was doing the interview with Michael Grady, and security began to converge. All right, there you go. Uh, that's the Kyrie Irving footage we were just talking about from a second ago. Um, look, you know, obviously it's a terrible uh, thing to do. I don't know if racism has anything to do with it. I will say that there's this thing I've been fearing for a while, and I've been talking about it since, go back to the beginning of the show, March and April of last year, and that we are going to have a really tough uh, year uh, or whatever the time period is when we're fighting off COVID. When we come to the other side of that, there's going to be another fight we're going to be in the middle of to push back against giant government power grabs, to push back against um, uh, all sorts of crazy new restrictions, this new idea that the government can do these things to us whenever they want or whenever they're fearing things. There's a story today about in, in China, a new uh, human case of H1N3 bird flu. And who knows when one of these things starts firing up in China, what are they going to do? Are we going to go right back into lockdown again? Would you be sh surprised at this point? Uh, the other part of this is I think there's a real possibility of a COVID snapback, meaning people who have been inside their houses and haven't been able to interact with people all their lives. We're going to see both sides. One side is just going to be a lot of fun. <laughs> you know, people are going to be willing to do whatever the hell comes around. They're going to be ready to go, ready to have fun, ready to let loose. This summer could be crazy for that. But I also think the other side of this, people who have been frustrated, who have been beaten down, who have been tortured by this, who have lost their job, who is, criminals who have not been able to commit crimes. They've been <laughs> inside for the past year. They're going to be ready to come back out and act out on this. And I think we're going to have some really ugly incidents here in the next few months as well. Hopefully not worse than what we saw last summer. Uh, there was another uh, incident at an NBA game as well. A fan running onto a court. This one kind of ended in a satisfying way, though. Watch. Kimura with the rebound. He's got 11. He's got a double-double tonight. Oh, my goodness. What is going on? Right on the floor. And the diving tackle by the security. With 3.40 to go here in the third. The Redskins better look into hiring that man right there. <laughs> what a tackle there by the security. There you go. Um, <laughs> there's something like police can't, you, know, you don't want police brutality. No one wants that. Um, however, there is, there's something about 
when a person runs on a field, no one cares about that. Like you can absolutely just blow them up. I, I was at the at the, the I think it was the Super Bowl, right? When the guy ran on the field. Do you remember this? The guy ran on the field. He made it like all the way down. The, somehow he made it like all the way across the field in the middle of the Super Bowl. I think they cut away largely, but um, the guy got uh, got hit pretty hard when he got close to the goal line. And it's, everyone just kind of like cheers. Like, no one cares that you're just getting absolutely just slaughtered by some security guard. It does happen. By the way, one other thing on, in sports, this is kind of an interesting story. Naomi Osaka, who's one of the big, uh, probably the biggest uh, earner, is at least when it comes to women's tennis players. I think she earned $55 million uh, over the, pa- you know, in the past uh, year of a full season. Um, she is a big star, has issues with anxiety, and does not like to do interviews. Now, of course, that's part of her gig, right? Like, that's part of the job. So what do you do? She's decided she's just going to drop out of a major tournament in France, the French Open, of course, and because she doesn't want to do any interviews. They said, well, you kind of have to do interviews or we're going to fine you. They fined her $15,000 for skipping some of the interviews. And she said, I'm just going to withdraw and take some time away from tennis. So now that there's this controversy about whether, uh, you know, should they be honoring and, 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 you know, kind of like, caring for her you know mental health needs here or does she just need to do the interviews or pay the fines i mean you think if you earn 55 million dollars maybe you just pay the fines but i don't know how that works for someone on the lower end of the scale it's gonna be an interesting one to watch look if i didn't want if i was like you know what i have a lot of really interesting opinions on the news i just don't want to be in front of the camera or recorded on microphones it's kind of part of your job i have to do interviews on other shows all the time kind of part of my job I don't know. It's a tough one. Back in a second. I'll give you a few flavors here. Coconut, double chocolate, mint brownie, peanut butter brownie, salted caramel, raspberry, cookies and cream. Some, just some of the Built Bar flavors that are available now. They're always coming out with new ones. I know they came out with, uh, they had a, um, my wife, who's a, she's basically the, uh, the founding father of Built Bar. She was turned out a Built Bar a few years ago, started ordering them like crazy. We have an entire shelf of our refrigerator that's constantly stocked with the latest Built Bar flavors. It's an energy, or excuse me, a protein bar that you know certainly helps with your energy, but it's not like a caffeinated thing. It just helps you get good, healthy fuel for your body, uh, low calorie, uh, high in fiber, high in um, protein, low in carbs. And uh, basically, she started buying these things. And now she gets, she kind of turned everybody uh, here onto them. Uh, Glenn's wife, Tanya, was one of the first people she told about them. She buys them all the time. Then Glenn got turned on to them. Now everybody here eats them all the time. Um, the grasshopper cookie, you know, kind of the minty cookie thing uh, that she, Lisa just got uh, one of those that came in. I know there's a new birthday cake bar as well. The best thing is they lead with taste first. You got to try these things. Builtbar.com. Use the promo code Stew15. You'll save 15% off your next order. Stew15 for 15% off at Builtbar.com. Listen to my wife. I have to. You should too. Builtbar.com. Promo code Stew15. So Greg Abbott is in the middle of a, a fight here in Texas. I think maybe we, we go into this full-fledged tomorrow because this voting bill situation in Texas is a complete disaster. And the media are absolutely uh, abdicating, abdication of duty here. I mean, they are 
all off the reservation. They are, I mean, it's unbelievable the way they're telling this story. Um, maybe we'll get into that a little bit more tomorrow. The Democrats here in Texas just walked off the end of the session. They didn't feel like voting on something. They didn't, weren't getting their way. So it's okay for them to just leave, apparently. Uh, and, uh, of course, the bill, as the same, same situation with uh, Georgia and others, is being completely misrepresented by the government, or excuse me, by the media. And so we'll get into that uh, coming up in a little bit. By the way, uh, Greg Abbott was endorsed by Donald Trump today for re-election. Kind of a I, I guess somewhat of a surprise, uh, maybe, uh, be, just because we know we have a, there's another congressman running. Obviously, our friend Chad Prather looks like he's running as well. Uh, so the Trump endorsement is kind of a big ticket. Uh, Trump kind of, I don't know, getting in front of it early and and, and endorsing in that race uh, early on uh, there. Uh, Vice President Kamala Harris is now trying to figure out a way to separate her from the situation at the border. And this is interesting largely because, you know, she was handed this big responsibility uh, to handle the border crisis. She's done nothing to improve the situation. And the situation has just continued to rage on. In, in, in really record fashion, so far, of course, the media has not done anything to hold them accountable. We will attempt to do that. But it is bizarre that uh, they handed this big responsibility to Kamala Harris. She's fallen down on the job. No one's really mentioned anything. And now they're going to try to extricate themselves from the situation entirely. She didn't know what was going on down there. What are you talking about? It wasn't her fault. She obviously wasn't really given the reins there. Very strange strategy going on. Um, always a strange strategy from Barack Obama and his uh, his his former crew. They are now saying um, that once again, racism is the problem. Now, racism had improved quite a bit until Barack Obama got elected. I feel like that really was the start of this going in the wrong direction. Uh, it wasn't uh, instead of trying to heal these racial divides and there he had a real opportunity to do that i think you know i mean america for as bad as barack obama was and as bad as his policies were there was an opportunity there where i think both democrats and republicans were excited to say hey like we have this kind of nasty racial history it's kind of a nice statement at least even if he's not going to be the best president in the world at least the fact that someone like barack obama can can rise up from a you know very small town uh small time beginning um, not like some big rich guy, not some big privileged guy. Uh, obviously, uh, our first black president can come up, be elected. There was some pride, I think, in that on both sides of the aisle, even if Republicans generally thought he was a terrible president, which I did. Uh, he did everything he could to make sure that did not occur. And it led to where we are now with uh, everything from black liberation theology all the way to critical race theory and white fragility teachings and Ibram X. Kendi and anti-racism and how to be anti-racist and all of the things we've talked about over and over and over again. Barack Obama really kind of stoked that uh, throughout his presidency. He said there's been uh, history in America, uh, with abolition, civil war, and then there's backlash and the rise of the KKK. And then Reconstruction ends and Jim Crow arises. And then you have a civil rights movement and a modern civil rights movement and a desegregation. What I take comfort in is that the traditional two steps forward, one step back. As long as you're getting these two steps, the one step back for the one step back, then that's the price of doing business. Uh, you know, look, I, I don't think we're in a position where we're, you know, uh, taking two steps back from the conservative side. They're trying to say, oh, well, these voting measures are the thing that's uh, against race relations right now. Look, this is you know, nonsense. Nonsense. I mean, 70 to 80 percent of black people agree with voter ID. 
this is not, it, it is the type of thing that is used to divide constantly. And that's how you hold on to power. And it seems like that's the whole strategy from the left right now. I don't want any part of it. I, I really don't. I don't want any part of this. I'm sick of it. I'm tired of it. There's really no need to be uh, elevating these issues constantly. I said this to Dan just a, a, you know, a little while ago. There is an elevation of people who want to talk and see race all the time. Those people are prominent. Those people get the attention. The people who would rather say, you know what, let's just judge people on the content of their character. Those people are being pushed down in our society, white or black. That's a terrible, terrible new thing that's happened, largely since Obama was president, uh, but not entirely because of him. Um, I want to give you this. This is from Spain, actually, but it's so wild. You have to see it. Spain has decided, you know what? We, uh, we think there's been a problem with race. We want to address that head on. Obviously, the way you do that is with a bunch of stamps. But let me tell you, you have to see what they're doing with these stamps. It is one of the most bizarre statements on race you'll ever see. Watch. The world has had enough. It is time to draw a line in the sun. Thousands have taken to the streets to condemn racial discrimination. And Correos, the Spanish Postal Service, wants to play its part too. That's why we created a new series of stamps. Correos presents Quality Stamps, a collection of stamps that reflect an unjust and painful reality, which should never exist. There are people who think the value of a person depends on the color of their skin. That's why these stamps have a different value depending on the color of the skin they represent. The darker the stamp, the lower its value. That means you'll need more black stamps than white ones for your deliveries. That way, every letter and every parcel will be a reflection of the inequality generated by racism. A protest. Equality stamps. A collection of stamps demanding that color should not determine the value we place on a person's life. Could there be anything dumber than that? First of all, you don't solve racism by stamps. You just can't do it. You can't stamp it out. I know it sounds like a good slogan. Let's stamp out racism. You can't, you can't beat racism with something you have to lick the back of. Secondarily, is it not at all insulting to African Americans, to, I guess, a Africans, Spaniards, um, that they, they're... <laughs> I just... That their stamps represent less value, so you have to... They're only like, I don't know, 70 cents for the black stamp, and it's like $1.50 for the white stamp. I, is this a statement against racism? What would David Duke do differently? Wouldn't, wouldn't he do the same thing? Yeah, you know what, guys? Let's make the white stamps cost even more. They'll be like the really valuable stamp, and the black stamps will be less valuable because as David Duke, you would believe that the black people would be less valuable. So I don't know if there's like a secret racism thing going through Spain guised as equality, but that is a laughable effort. A laughable effort out of Spain. 
unbelievable. Unbelievable. That's real, by the way. That was a real commercial. Um, Black Lives Matter is in the news as well. Uh, one of their former founders is speaking out now against the organization in a pretty powerful way. Watch. I am living proof that no matter your start in life, quality education is a pathway to success. I want the same success for our children in our communities. That's why in 2015, I was a founder of Black Lives Matter in St. Paul. I believe the organization stood for exactly what the name implies. Black lives do matter. However, after a year on the inside, I learned they had little concern for rebuilding black families. And they cared even less about improving the quality of education for students in Minneapolis. Mm. That was made clear when they publicly denounced charter schools alongside the teachers union. Mm. I was an insider in Black Lives Matter and I learned the ugly truth. The moratorium on charter schools does not support rebuilding the black family, but it does create barriers to a better education for black children. Mm -hmm. I resigned from Black Lives Matter after a year and a half, but I didn't quit working to improve black lives and access to a great education. Today, I serve as the president and executive director of Minnesota Parent Union. We're dedicated to helping parents move their children from failing schools to successful schools. It's hard work, and we're up against forces that don't want us to succeed. But success is possible. Just look at me and the hundreds of children and families we've helped to pursue a great education, break the chains of poverty, and lead a life of success. Mm, that's America right there, isn't it? That's a great story. You know, it's funny because I think... The idea of Black Lives Matter is actually really appealing to pretty much everybody. You know, I mean, of course, Black Lives Matter. The only issue that I think was was that made a lot of conservatives feel uncomfortable is we don't want to divide us uh, by color of skin. It's, it's not a good idea. It's never worked out well. We left that behind a long time ago. We thought I don't want to be I don't want to identify uh, people. I mean, that's what identitarians do right like they they are identifying themselves they want a national structure based around the your identity your skin color identity politics are a bad thing and i thought we understood that here's a guy who's standing up and saying yeah i agree with the basic message of black lives matter like i want to make sure black lives do matter but i also want to make sure that they can be educated and and we're fighting against these same forces that have been stopping black lives from being uh, able to flourish in our society for the past 50 years. It's got to stop. And there's somebody who's actually taking steps to make a difference uh, in, this, uh, in this area. And it's a hell of a lot more than Ibram Kendi's ever done. Back in a second. So you thought a uh, Quiet Place Part 2 was scary. Let me show you a pool. Mm -hmm. Here it is. This is a pool. It is located this in between. This sky pool, doesn't it look amazing? Two uh, It's near the U.S. Embassy in Nine Elms, just south of the River Thames. And it's believed to be the world's first transparent pool built between two skyscrapers. Holy so crap. Um, I think you'd need to have a head for heights, wouldn't you? You wouldn't want to be swimming along there and looking down to the ground below. But it looks really spectacular. The water there glistening in the sunshine. Uh, swimmers able there to enjoy views of Parliament and the London Eye while they swim their lengths of the 25-metre pool. One catch, right. though, is you have to be a resident to 
There you go. I mean, it's pretty cool. I will say uh, the human body does not look good from the bottom up. So that's a whole nother issue, despite the heights. Uh, we talked a lot of sports today. Don't forget your shirt. Don't be an idiot. Don't be a LeBron. It's available now at don'tbealebron.com. <laughs>